This is Anabaptist Perspectives. Jesus gave himself to redeem us from the present evil age. That's a short sentence uh, that gives us a lot of insight into that short, uh, fiery letter uh, that we know as Galatians um, in the New Testament. Uh, so how does Jesus bring us uh, to a new age? I'm here today with uh, Paul Lamasella. Um, Paul has taught the book of Galatians um, at Sattler College. Uh, he's also uh, preparing for a one-week intensive course uh, he's going to offer um, on that letter. Uh, we'll mention a little bit about that at the end, or you can find that um, in the show notes. Uh, but mostly we're going to jump right into the text of Galatians here. So, Paul, you said that when you sum up this letter to Galatians, um, Galatians 1, 4, uh, Jesus gave himself to redeem us from the present evil age. It's kind of your summary. Um, could you unpack that for us a bit? Yeah. First of all, thank you so much for um, having the opportunity to chat with you and, and sort of by implication, your listeners. It's great. Um, yeah, Galatians 1, 4, um, Jesus gave himself for our sins. I think that being a crucial part in order to deliver us from the present evil age what we have in this in this short statement is a summary both of galatians and of large portions of paul's theology as a whole which is encapsulated in, in story so in galatians you have so much about these two contrast about this these contrasts it's it's very dichotomistic letter the flesh and the spirit the present evil age the age to come the this dikia to cosmo the the um, elements of the world versus the new life, the Hagar and Sarah, and then old creation and new creation. You also have so much about Jesus' atoning death, his taking upon himself the sins of Israel, the sins of Gentiles, facing the curse of Torah so that the blessing of Abraham could come, both to Jews and to Gentiles alike. What happens, I think, in this verse, all of those themes are being put into summary into summary form. So in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that what's a, he kind of gives a little encapsulation of his gospel message, the things that are in for, of first importance. Messiah died for our sins according to the scriptures. In this verse, he doesn't specifically say the for the scriptures, according to the scriptures bit, but his language alludes to Isaiah. The giving, giving himself for our sins is, is understood by scholars to be a reference to Isaiah 53 and other passages. So we have the same idea that for Paul in this verse, Jesus is giving himself not in a um, in a surprising way, yes, but in a way that the prophets have foretold, as he said in other places. He's giving himself for our sins, and that plural is important. He's thinking here primarily that the human problem is not the devil, it's not the powers, but it's our rebellion against God and our, our sins that Jesus took upon himself and uh, atoned for. But all of that, leads to, as he says in chapter three, that cursed Jesus became a curse for us by taking upon himself the curse, the ultimate exile, the ultimate curse of Torah, so that the blessing of Abraham, the inheritance, what is that? Well, for Paul, the inheritance ultimately, if, if you read in like Romans four, is the inheritance of the world. It's the new creation. Uh, it's being adopted as God's sons and daughters, which can be said in another way, as being transferred from the present evil age into the new creation, as he says at the end of Galatians, um, and actually a couple of places in Galatians 5 and 6. 
about new cre- being brought into new creation. Um, Maybe just a, so yeah. a clarification um, there. So you're saying this contrast, the present evil age, which we get right up front in the letter, and new creation. But for a lot of us, that term new creation is not one we're um, used to using as much. I know there's biblical scholars starting to talk about it a lot more, and you started to mention some of these terms, but you know, what are the key maybe Bible words or familiar phrases to us that, that you have in mind when you use that term new creation? Yeah, um, so it's, it's pretty comprehensive. Um, and so I think the term is very important because it can't be collapsed into, it includes almost everything you can think of, and yet it can't be reduced to just one of them. Uh, so I, it is cosmic. Uh, when I say new creation, I do mean a restored heavens and earth, eschatologically, you know, when, with, when Messiah returns and renews all things. But for Paul and for the New Testament as a whole, that very eschatological cosmic transformation has begun in Jesus' resurrection. And the giving of the Spirit, just like in Genesis 1, where the Spirit hovers over the breath of Yahweh, hovers over the waters as God creates a new, you know, creates the world. Um, so the, the Spirit being poured out on those who trust in Jesus is the sign that that new creation is dawning, that inwardly we're being freed from sin, we're being freed from the dominion of the devil, we're being freed from all the things that we were bound to in the old age, in the age of waiting for for the coming of, of the Messiah. And that, for Paul, is not separate from the cosmic transformation that's going to happen. I think for Paul, he would say, no, the logical, if you would take the transformation of your heart that began when you trusted in Jesus and just like kind of clicked and dragged it all the way to its end point, you would see your your resurre- your bodily resurrection and the whole world's transformation. It's it's one holistic um, thing. It's a con- uh, continuum or yeah. organic development, development of the same thing. Yeah. I mean, enough to, you know, to use another biblical scholar term, it's inaugurated eschatology, that the age to come has broken into the present world and we're experiencing in very small ways what will someday take over everything. Yeah, no, thanks. Yeah, that is helpful. As we're talking about Galatians, biblical scholars often like to dive into reconstructing the history of a church where a letter was sent to or whatever, and that can become a huge subject. But are there uh, any particular background things, you know, maybe the church at Galatia or the situation there that we really should keep in mind um, as an introduction to this letter? Yeah, you're so, you're totally right. Um, that that questions like this fascinate some, especially some types of, of scholars. Um, I'm one that loves the theology and the ideas more than I do arcane discussions of certain reconstruction issues like so that. So you weren't going to write always... a whole lot about North Galatian versus South Galatian theory and getting the precise date uh, of the right. letter and I things mean, like that? It's Im- some of that's important, uh, and I have I have you know t- my views on it. Uh, one of the other questions, important questions, is its relationship to the Jerusalem Council mm-hmm. uh, in, in Acts fifteen. I have some views on it, but I think for most listeners, I, I think the most important things are to keep in mind are for for Galatians. Now, for some other for other letters, I'm, I'm not, it's diff- it may be different, but for Galatians, I think 
most of the background stuff can be fairly easily deduced from the text. That that most of the background stuff that's crucial to understanding the letter. It is important to recognize that the opponents or these the Judaizers or however you want to call them um, are people who are claiming to be part of the Jesus community. That's important. Uh, I think it's important that Peter, you know, to understand that that Peter is indeed failed here, but was not fundamentally opposed to what Paul was was teaching that there was, you know, there was good relationship, I think, between them. But I don't think for this particular, for this particular letter, some of that reconstruction, we, we, the, the, con, the basic contours are, you know. If you read Galatians and you read the book of Acts for some of the basic stuff going on in the church and how Peter was relating to Gentiles and so on, you get a lot of it. Yeah. So just to get uh, deeper into the text of Galatians, uh, one thing that struck me the last time I was reading through Galatians was these sections where Paul seems to be comparing the Torah, the law given to Moses, almost to pagan religion or pagan religious practices when he talks about them as the elements of the world or however you want to translate that. And then you did a series on uh, Galatians, much longer series, um, on the Think Truth podcast. And I noticed that you really latched onto that same theme and maybe you could talk about that a bit here. Yeah, that's it's such a fascinating, such a fascinating question. I like to compare and contrast um, the letter to Galatians, to the Galatians, with some texts and just some general background of of the, the Qumran community. So I did this when I taught at Sattler. When I, my opening lecture was actually was on Galatians one four, but in with the background of the Qumran which is, a, for those who may not be familiar, it's a sectarian group of very, very religious and eschatologically minded separatist Jewish people who lived out in the desert um, and tried very hard to have a pure community. And is that the community, just for reference, that we get the Dead Sea Scrolls from? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. They and other Jewish people um, agreed with Paul about this, the idea of two ages. Um, the present evil age that would be followed by the age to come when God would right Israel's wrongs and restore all things and give people hearts that would follow him better, better and stuff like that. They agreed with Paul on all sorts of things like that. They obviously agreed that eschatology was very important. Uh, they agreed that that having communities, pure communities, was very important. But where Paul differed, well, one of the one of the things that I think would have been the most shocking to other other Jewish people was not the fact that Paul drew a sharp line between sort of these two buckets, the old age and the age to come, but what Paul put in the two buckets. So if we read some of the Dead Sea Scrolls, one of the things that's the expectations for the age to come is that people would follow Torah super, super carefully. Like finally, finally Israel would be faithful to Torah. Paul though says, "Yeah, I agree with your with the that there are these two ages, but I relegate Torah to the old age. That is mind blowing. That's just so contrary to what you know the, these dedicated people of Qumran, but any Jewish any Jewish observer, uh, at least most, would think. And it may it leads Paul to make these these strange sort of associations between Sabbaths and what seem like pagan." observances and things like that. And you're like, why? So he does the same thing in Colossians. 
But I think this is where what we talked about earlier about the framework for Paul of Galatians 1.4, Jesus died for our sins in order to deliver us from the present evil age. I think this is where we see this again, that for Paul, being part of the old age has, there's so many things associated with it, right? If you're a Gentile, it means bondage to idolatry that can express itself in pagan practices and things like that, whatever. If you were Jewish, though, you weren't off the hook. You were still in bondage. And Paul sees that Torah is, in a sense, he, he it's a good thing in that it keeps Israel distinct um, and keeps them at bay, to their behavior at bay to some degree as they await their age of maturity. So Paul has these two metaphors for what it's like to be under Torah. One is um, like you're a minor. And the other one is you're a slave. So these these two things, and and they they're both important. So there's a sense where you're a minor, you're you're under special rules. In another sense, you're you're enslaved. But when Messiah comes, you're now not a minor anymore, and you're not a slave anymore. And so the Torah itself and its observances is all part and parcel of that old age and the old world, the old creation. And I think using the phrase "elements of the world," which is a phrase that has multiple meanings, but most often refers to what we would think of as the building blocks of matter, right? So, I mean, we have a much more developed understanding of the particles that make up material world, but air and fire and water and earth and things like that and other, other materials, but the basic building blocks of the world, but also it could be used to refer to being spiritual, supernatural beings that were over, over the cosmos. But I think for Paul, couching it in those terms saying, you know, Sabbath observance, pagan calendrical observances, those are all part of the basic building blocks of the old creation that Jesus has come to wipe away and usher in in its place the new creation. I think that's, I think that's kind of what Paul's getting at. Yeah, I think that gets us into some of the interesting parts of Galatians with those, the idea of shifts, the idea of growing up, um, and of course, one of those key themes in Galatians is it's the spirit is now present. It's what makes everything new and so on. If you could talk about that a bit, the spirit yeah. in general in Galatians. Yeah, that's so one of the most important items in the letter, topics in the letter. Whenever I teach Galatians I or talk about Galatians, I always ask students. So when you go to Galatians 3 and Paul starts out in this the, the chapter saying, you foolish Galatians, which I'm still daring someone to start a sermon with, <laughs> like you stupid people in my church. But at any rate, Paul says, you foolish Galatians, who's tricked you? And then he says, let me ask you one question. And I think a lot of us would expect the question to be something different from what he asks. We would expect it to be maybe like, when you started following Jesus, how did you do it? Like, did you, did you receive him into your heart? Or did you... Um, did you feel an inner peace or did you start having a new power to live over sin, victory over sin or something like that? But why does he choose? Did you receive the spirit by works of Torah or by, or by hearing with faith? Like, why does he ask the question how did, about the spirit right here in the context of this controversy over do, over do people who believe in Jesus need to be circumcised and follow Torah? If the question is, do, you, do I need to be circumcised and follow Torah? Why bring in this thing of how, how did you receive the Spirit? And the reason is that this is not this is not arbitrary or random. 
but that in the Old Testament and in Jewish expectation, but especially in passages like like Joel or Ezekiel, the giving of the Spirit is the sign that the eschatological fulfillment has dawned. It's the sign that new creation has come. If you've received the Spirit, that is proof positive that the fulfillment of God's promises have dawned and that you've been swept into it. And if it's the case that you've been swept into the to the fulfillment of all of God's promises through faith, why on earth would you want to go step backwards and back into the days of waiting, into the days of bondage, into the days of slavery, into the days of being a, a minor, but also bound to sin, and go back to Torah? Like it just doesn't make any sense when you know that you have you've been swept into the new age because you've received the Spirit, and that happened not by Torah but by faith. For Paul, receiving the Spirit is what it means at this stage in in history to have been swept into into God's new creation. And so the fact that the Galatians Gentiles received the Spirit is one of the arguments that Paul uses to say, along with other scriptural arguments from about Abraham's life and such, that um, the Judaizers are just flat wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. And and just to note one thing that you really stressed in the other podcast I was listening to and is important for our important to keep in mind is that whole thing of the spirit starts out with freedom and then you get to the end and there's also this strong emphasis do not use your freedom uh, for bad things through love serve one another and leads right into the fruit of the spirit uh, which is these the character qualities or ethics if you will Right. So, of course, this is going to be a big question for, say, the Judy. if you're one of the Judaizers, you're like, okay, so you're bringing these Gentiles who were, uh, okay, so many of them may have been God-fearers or something or been familiar with, with Judaism uh, and, and attracted to it or whatever. But people from a pagan background who've been into all sorts of debauchery and whatnot, and you're now telling them, and you don't have to follow Torah. Like, how on earth do you expect them to live an upright life? This is bad. This is just really bad news. Uh, and Paul says, no, they're expected to fulfill Torah because they have the Spirit. The Spirit's presence in their life frees them from sin and frees them from the old age. Part of what it means to be in the old age is to be bound to sin. And so for Paul, if you have the Spirit, you don't need the Torah anymore, but you do, you have to, and you will walk in a way of godliness. And this is going to demand instruction. It's not all automatic for Paul, obviously. He, he's always giving instruction and fighting with churches about how, you know, no, 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 you really don't need to stop doing this and keep doing this. It's a journey. It's a path. You have to sow to the Spirit so that you reap eternal life uh, and such, such things. But it's a different way of thinking about it, more internalized way of thinking about ethics. It's a, it's a matter of transformation and not adherence to an externalized code. Yeah, thank you. So yeah, for um, those of you listening and wanting to learn more about Galatians, well, first of all, read it and read it more than one time and think carefully about it. But a couple other opportunities um, to help uh, with study. Uh, One is the longer podcast series um, that Paul did on Think Truth. We'll link that in the notes. Um, But also, I'd like to have Paul tell us just a little bit about uh, the one-week course um, that you're going to be offering uh coming up yeah so i'm planning so i've been doing every year a class on how the whole bible fits together and i'm planning to do a little new mini 
one week intensive course uh, in January. Small group, uh, so there's lots of interaction and discussion, just going through Galatians. I'm excited about that. Good opportunity um, for anyone who's interested in diving deeper uh, in, a, in a group, in a community setting. And you got information on your website for that? Yeah, biblicalstoryline.org. And we'll include the link as well. Thank you, Paul. This has been a great conversation. Thanks, Marlon. For more information about Anabaptist Perspectives, to read our blog, to donate, and to see videos of the conversations you hear on this podcast, visit anabaptistperspectives.org. We'd love to hear from our audience, so leave your feedback in the comments for this podcast or send us a message through our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Anabaptist Perspectives. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We invite you to join our monthly partner program. Monthly partners are key to the financial sustainability of Anabaptist Perspectives. Partners also gain access to bonus content, including our exclusive podcast where we respond to audience questions and comments. Sign up at anabaptistperspectives.org.